Well, the tale of woe for centre-right parties in Australia is that their supporters are literally dying, that they're disproportionately over 50, that younger voters are locked into a lifetime of support for the left. Certainly what the data suggests. But if you look beyond Australia and maybe even beyond the UK and the US, it is not the complete picture, far from it. Dr Sebastian Milbank is executive editor of The Critic magazine and he's been taking a deep dive into this data. Sebastian joins us. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much, Andrew. So what is the popular perception about young voters and their political identification? The typical stereotype, you know, is the lefty student. And of course, more and more young people are going to university than ever before. If you look at the English-speaking world, the correlation between age and left or right affiliation is almost exact. The younger you are, the more left-wing you are, the more likely you are to vote for the Labour Party in, in Britain or for the Democratic Party in America. And also on social attitudes, young people seem to be more socially liberal than ever before. There is a more or less correct perception that young people are of the left, straightforwardly. Well, that is certainly holding in the UK at the moment. I want you, though, Sebastian, to skip across the English Channel, because what have you found about voting trends, first of all, in, say, France and Germany, where the standard bearers are Marine Le Pen, and in Germany, the alternative for Deutschland Party? What did you find there, though, about young people? This is what's really interesting. In Europe, a lot of the trends that hold true in the Anglo-Saxon world do not pertain at all. In France, for example, the National Rally Party does best amongst millennials. And so the sort of median Le Pen voter is young, poor, working class, about sort of 25 to 35. So that's your typical Le Pen voter. At the same time, the other place where our voters were most likely to go was the far left, so Mélenchon, and particularly millennials were more likely to vote for Le Pen than any other presidential candidate. Now, in Germany, young people are also leaving traditional parties. And in some areas, so for example, in Saxony, there was an election in which young people very nearly swung it for the AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland, In Italy and Sweden, for example, young people are as likely to vote for parties of the populist right as they are for any other. These parties do equally well amongst young people. Their voters are not dying off. Mm. There's also some interesting differences. So generally, it's working class young people voting for populist right parties. And if we just stay in the Mediterranean, Europe for the moment, we've had a spectacular collapse of the far left in Greece. Now, this was a party that swept to office about a decade ago on the sort of hopes and optimism, I'm assuming, of young people, but, uh, you know, wide section of the Greek community. What's happened there with the vote of young people? In Greece, you had this extraordinary shift leftwards in the wake of the financial crash, but Syriza completely failed to um, negotiate successfully with Europe. So first of all, there's now a centre-right party in charge. And at the same time, the Golden Dawn, this is a very far-right party in Greek politics, basically a neo-fascist party, has its highest level of support amongst young voters. Young men 
are the biggest demographic for parties of the really far right. So not even populist right-wing parties, but actually kind of neo-pagan, neo-fascist parties. Let's talk about why this is occurring, though, Sebastian. The hint was unemployment. Historically, a fear of unemployment used to drive people to the left. Why is that not happening in Europe among the young voters? So I think this is a really good question. Part of it is that the nature of labour and employment has changed. We don't have such a large-scale employment in manufacturing, which means a lot of people are working kind of temporary jobs in the gig economy in very under-unionised sectors. Labour is much less organised and there's less of a working-class identity. And at the same time, the kind of major issue for European countries in particular is globalisation. So that's the thing most of all, undermining wages, conditions, causing economic fluctuations, Essentially, the left, which was at the forefront of the anti-globalisation movement in the 90s and early noughties, has essentially collapsed as an anti-globalisation movement. Those parts of the left that still are opposing globalisation, such as Mélenchon in France, are doing well. But where the left has abandoned it, you know, often adopting neoliberal economics or simply kind of failing to have a coherent response, the right has had a much more powerful message on globalisation. So if you think about something like Occupy Wall Street, that was the kind of last gasp of left-wing anti-globalisation, but it didn't go anywhere. Now, you're really hitting on something fascinating here because there's another factor at work here, and that is that while these are parties of the nationalist right to which many European young people are gravitating, is it true that they're not neoliberal, they're not pure free market? Don't they, in fact, talk about shoring up the welfare state? Yes, there are a mixture of centre-right and far-right parties doing fairly well in Europe at the moment. Some of them are more or less neoliberal. But there's a substantial trend towards much more statist economics. The well-known example, obviously, is Hungary, where they're trying to kind of invest heavily in welfare services, especially for families. There's a big emphasis on birth rates, much more kind of protectionist economics. Again, similar situation in Italy, Giorgio Maloney. She's someone who's very kind of critical of globalisation at the same time is much more kind of sympathetic to state intervention. And in your piece for the critic titled The Kids Are Alt-Right, you give Mm. Italy and Giorgio Maloney particular attention. Her party is characterised as neo-fascist. Its origins may certainly be that, although I'm not sure that's as applicable today, hasn't it attracted something like a quarter of all young voters? And I mean very young, not just millennials, but almost first-time voters. It has. Obviously, people will point out this was also an election with a very low turnout. How representative that is, um, is something that people are still debating. But I think it's very significant. You've also seen the youth wing of her party increase from 10,000 to 50,000. And if you look at some of these, these kind of rallies, that they put on, you know, you'll see very kind of active, very engaged young people at the forefront. There's obviously a serious youth movement behind Maloney. And Maloney herself, it's worth saying, she came up as part of the youth movement of the neo-fascist, or what was then at least a neo-fascist movement. She herself was a minister for young people under the previous administration as part of a coalition. And she's also a relatively young politician. And this also is a feature of why perhaps national populism is so successful amongst the young in Europe. Their leaders are unusually young candidates in their 20s and 30s often, very active on social media. This is completely different from the kind of politics that we see in somewhere like America, where you've got kind of octogenarians facing off against each other. Well, the other thing too that defies the stereotype is that we're not just talking about young leaders, we're talking about a group of people that is more diverse than you might imagine. What do you mean? 
Yes, for example, the Italian Minister for Family is uh, Eugenia Rocella. She's a former socialist uh, and conservative feminist. And so when Maloney is talking about things like surrogacy, she's not just sort of talking about from a kind of pace of Catholic social conservatism. She's also someone who's engaged with questions of feminism. And in the same way, um, you've also seen Maloney talk about neocolonialism. This is a movement that's able to talk to a generation of European young people who are definitely more socially liberal than their parents and their grandparents. But what you see that's really interesting is that, you know, you've got a much more diverse, much more accepting of gay people group of voters, but they're actually being appealed to more successfully by national populist leaders. Let's just finish up by cycling back to Britain, because even though, as you say, most young people at this stage are on the left and are voting likely for Labour at the next election, you've dug a little deeper into the data about their attitudes to liberalism. What did you find? I mean, I think there's a general assumption that young people are idealistically committed to liberalism, whereas I think a lot of the increase in social liberal attitudes is much more about people simply not caring because they're disconnected from religious or socially conservative or national traditions that would once have shaped attitudes in these questions. So a lot of things that people see as a positive engagement with liberal values may actually just be a disengagement from a lot of questions that once occupied society. So there was a 2022 report which suggested that young people in Britain are less committed to liberal democratic values than any previous generation. 61% of 18 to 34-year-olds would support having a strong leader who does not have to bother with parliament and elections. Part of it is that liberalism itself encourages, often admirably, scepticism, free thinking, asserting individuality. But when those values are isolated from any others, I mean, they often lead to cynicism, disappointment, and a lack of faith in institutions. When you combine that with very real structural failures, growing inequality, political scandals, you see a sort of unstoppable process of disengagement from common institutions and life. And you also look at the atomizing effects of technology, and you've got a generation of people who have very little investment in things that were once very important to their parents. They don't think voting matters. They don't think the media tells the truth. They don't think politicians can be trusted. They believe that companies are out for themselves. And I think the idea of like a job for life committing to one employer rising up in a company. These are not features of modern economies anymore as well. We always like these kind of counterintuitive stories on the program. Dr Sebastian Milbank, Executive Editor of The Critic magazine. Sebastian, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. And there's a link to Sebastian's article at our website.